Hi guys, this is a new episode of Health and Science, and we are so honored to have Dr. Kash with us today. Hi, doctor. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you. Doctor, can you share with us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Dr. Camille Cash, and I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon. I've been in private solo practice for going on 21 years now. My practice is located in central Houston. And um, yeah, I'm just, you know, part of my specialty is working with um, women doing mommy makeovers, a lot of breast and body contouring, as well as non-surgical facial and vaginal rejuvenation. Oh, I like that last thing that you mentioned. <laughs> okay. Yes. It's getting very a, popular right now. You know, adding vaginal rejuvenation has really, I always tell folks that has, you know, we first started talking about mommy makeover. So it's a kind of breast and body, two of the areas that we, um, you know, kind of address post, you know, pregnancy, um, nursing, but then adding the vaginal rejuvenation component to it. I say it's just the complete and ultimate mommy makeover. That should be the, the, most important part. Correct. Think about it. Definitely. I think it's something that gets overlooked and it shouldn't be. And it's, it's great because now we're more comfortable talking about it and women are reaching out to, you know, kind of find out what treatment options are available. And we have some really exciting non-surgical treatments that are available for women. So you offer non-surgical and surgical treatments? Yes. Can you share with us a little bit of that? Sure. I, I know you cannot share everything, but <laughs> what is PG-13? We would like to hear it. No, that's fine. So for um, surgical procedures, you know, labiaplasties, which is a surgical procedure to um, contour and reduce the redundant tissue of the, the labia majora um, or the vaginal lips, the external genitalia. So what you see, a labiaplasty um, is a surgical procedure that treats that area. And those, the number of labiaplasties in the last five years have really skyrocketed. They've just increased um, demand for it because it, what one of the things that's most popular is Brazilian bikini waxing. So when you remove all the hair, then uh, people are paying more attention to what things look like. And they're finding that they would like to have procedures to improve the appearance. So a surgical procedure is a labiaplasty that can be done in the office under local anesthesia or can be in the, done in the operating room with other procedures. But sometimes patients will want, and that's, you know, labioplasties are just external treatment. So it's just really, truly for cosmetic purposes. And then sometimes we'll have patients that want a little tightening of the vaginal canal. So the birth canal can get stretched with time, pregnancies, deliveries. And sometimes patients will want to have that area tightened. And that can also be done surgically with a surgical vaginoplasty. So those are the two surgical options that I do in my practice. One for tightening the vaginal canal and one for um, removing the extra tissue of the labia. So one's more cosmetic and one's functional. Um, and then we have patients that of course would love to have treatments that don't require surgery, incisions or downtime. So we do use some radio frequency devices for tightening of the tissues, for retraction of the tissues, and for also muscle stimulation. So I like the non-surgical uh, treatments because there's no incisions, there's really no downtime. It can address the laxity of the tissue, so the appearance of the tissue, but it can also improve the tightness of the tissue 
And by improving the tightness, you can also increase the lubrication of the vaginal canal. And then we also do some treatments to help stimulate and tighten the pelvic floor. So as women get a little bit older, if they've had children, they may have a little bit of um, stress urinary incontinence or leakage when they smile or they laugh or they cough. So there can be treatments that are done non-surgically for all of those issues. Um, I'm very happy that doctor is, is, is talking about this uh, issue. Um, as you know, I do weight loss treatments. So with females that gain weight and lose weight, they start having those problems. Some of them are not even moms yet, but they already have the yes. problem. And can you share with us a little bit about the pelvic floor, like yes. what the treatments that you offer? So for the pelvic floor, that's kind of the internal um, support of the bladder of the urethra, which is where the urine leaves the bladder and exits the body and the tight, uh, the area around the vaginal um, canal. So when women have had pregnancies, major weight fluctuations, or with time, hormonal changes, aging, the um, strength of the pelvic floor can get weakened. The contraction of the muscle, the sphincter muscles can be disorganized or um, incomplete. And so women may feel that, again, they're having urinary urge incontinence, meaning they feel like they have to go to the bathroom and they have to go right away, or sometimes stress incontinence, which is where you raise your pressure. So you may laugh or cough suddenly, and then you're getting a little bit of leakage from the, the bladder. So that is where we can use one aspect of our um, platform is to use radio frequency, sorry, um, muscle stimulation. So direct muscle stimulation of the pelvic floor to help the pelvic floor muscles contract and strengthen and then work more uniformly. So it's like doing a thousand Kegels in one setting. So really strengthen wow. the floor. And um, it can be really great for helping to strengthen um, that, that, that pelvic floor and to create tightness. We'll often use those treatments in conjunction with radio frequency. And so radio frequency is heat energy or thermal energy. And you can imagine what thermal energy when it's controlled does to tissue. So if you think about, I always tell folks, if you think about a piece of bacon, right? And you throw that piece of bacon on a hot skillet and how it contracts. Or if you throw a yes. piece of meat onto a grill, the, 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 the tissue starts to contract. And so we want, we want to have that same type of effect where we get contraction of the tissues, but in a controlled fashion so that we're not burning you. So obviously, so we use radio frequency, so it's safe energy. It is slowly raising the temperature of the tissues comfortably, but still so we can get an effective tightening or retraction of the tissue. So that's radio frequency. So thermal energy, heat energy, collagen production, tightening of the tissue. And that can be done where we just basically rub a wand onto the tissues and apply the radio frequency of the heat energy kind of transcutaneously or through the skin, just kind of rub it on with a probe. We can also use radio frequency and microneedling where basically we're delivering that heat energy deeper into the tissues for even more collagen remodeling, more tightening of the tissues. And so that, that radio frequency energy can be applied internally to the vaginal canal, to the vaginal introitus. It can also be applied to the external tissues of so the labia majora and the menorah and the clitoral hood to help decrease some of the laxity of the tissues and to create tightening. Wow, this sounds amazing. <laughs> you are changing people's lives. No, it's, it's great because, you know, like I said, it is something that we don't always talk about, but incontinence is a huge problem. You know, women, um, as they get older, they just, you know, can 
they kind of think that this is just what's going to happen and is acceptable. And so there's just, it's nice to know that there's treatment options for patients where they really have very little to no downtime. Wow. That, that's even better. <laughs> for sure. And nowadays we are getting more open to talk about these subjects because like I do also postpartum treatment and I, mm -hmm. I have to deal with all the emotions with my patients, you know, it's very hard mm -hmm. to see how your body change after having a baby. Most of my patients are already depressed because they don't like how their vagina looks. But now you have a surgery for this. It's amazing. Correct. Yes. Surgery or, um, or non-surgical. So there are patients that may be a better candidate for surgery than non-surgical treatment options. If the patients have really a lot, a lot of skin, then they may not get the same result from a non-surgical treatment as they would from surgery. But if the patients don't want to have, you know, incisions and downtime, et cetera, then they may have to um, you know, understand that the non-surgical treatment options will take several treatments to see the best results in a little bit more time. But it's just really, there's just multiple options uh, for patients. And sometimes we may combine therapies and treatments to get the best results. So basically they just should book a, should book a consultation with you for you to decide what is better for them, if the treatment or, or yes. the surgery. Correct. And of course, they need to find professionals like you certified mm -hmm. to do these procedures because it's a very important area as well. Correct. Correct. And so I think that's the beauty of being a surgeon is understanding, okay, how to, you know, do a surgical procedure, but also understanding that not everybody needs surgery and having non-surgical options available for patients. And it does, you know, work kind of hand in hand um, with um, providers like yourself that may be doing hormonal treatment and um, kind of restoring women's um, hormonal balance after menopause, if necessary, um, weight loss, um, and things of that nature, because it's all kind of a, a kind of a, a holistic approach to addressing the areas of concern. Wow. And what better than another female understanding my female problems? Correct. correct? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's the beauty of, um, you know, understanding the challenges that we go through as women and how we sacrifice our bodies after having our children, we love them. But you know, sometimes we want to have, you know, kind of be restored and feel, you know, sexy and pretty and attractive and still be a mom, but you know, still feel that internal confidence. Right. I don't know if this has happened to you, but some uh, husbands come and say, thank you, because now mm -hmm. my sexual life with my wife is better. So I take care of the wife. They yes. feel sexy. They feel confident. And now the husband is happy. Yes. Has well, you know, they say happy wife, happy life. So, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I've had, um, even with surgical procedures, you know, we have women that, you know, maybe they're, they're very self-conscious about the way they look. Um, they've had children, maybe their breasts have deflated, their tummies are a little extra, you know, kind of saggy around the midsection, and they don't feel comfortable showing their body, even to their husbands. And so a surgical procedure, like a breast lift or an augmentation, tummy tuck, liposuction, whatever combination of 
procedures that are appropriate for that patient can really restore a woman's self-confidence, sexuality, and it rubs off into their everyday life where they can feel, you know, more intimate with their husband. So I do have husbands that will thank me. I've gotten thank you cards. I've had husbands that have found me online and looked for a doctor that they wanted for their wives. And these are husbands typically that are not forcing their wives to have any procedures, but they know that this is something that has been a concern for their wife for a long time. And the, the wife is looking to have the treatment and the husband um, is, you know, kind of helping them do some of the research. And so that's always great when I have a partner or a husband or a spouse that's not there to dictate the surgery or tell the woman what he, he wants her to look like, but really just to be supportive because that's something that's been bothering her. And oftentimes the, my patient's partners are the ones that directly hear how their lives are being affected by maybe some self-esteem issues based on how they look. So it's really very, very rewarding to be able to restore that sense of femininity, sexuality, confidence. And, and yes, it, it works for both, <laughs> both the husband and the wife. Right. It's a 50, it's a win-win situation. Definitely. Doctor, one of the things that I like about your work is your incisions. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, I was always concerned about what, how my incisions are going to look after surgery. And I love that you're brown like me mm-hmm. and you try not to overstimulate. Mm-hmm. Is this the right comment or? No, definitely. You know, for um, patients of color, we tend to, you know, let me say incisions um, heal through inflammation. And so when I make a surgical cut, I'm going to cut patients the same way with a knife. I'm going to sew things together very carefully and lay the skin edges next to each other. And then the body, the individual person's body is going to heal with inflammation. It creates collagen remodeling, it increases vascularity to the scar, and it can increase um, uh, elevation or thickening of decision, which can also lead to pigmentation. And so recognizing that patients of color tend to make a more robust inflammatory response than lighter skin. That means that the scars can be thicker, it can be darker, sometimes it can be pink, and it take a little bit more time to settle. So for me, I always pay particular attention to how I close the incisions and how I bring things together and taking my time to make sure that I put the incisions together so that there's the least amount of tension that sets up the least amount of inflammation. When you have less inflammation, you have less visibility of the scar, thickening, uh, darkness, and um, and kind of texture changes. Wow, I like your response. I love <laughs> it. I love it. Nobody has to, like explain um so deep in like how yeah, we heal. Correct. Because it's important yeah. to understand, you know, as a plastic surgeon, of course, I want everybody, if I could do scarless surgery, that'd be great. Of course. Um, but I can't. So what I try to do is I, I try to tell patients, educate patients about how bodies heal um, so that they can understand, you know, part of how a person heals is what I do, but more importantly, it's how they're genetically programmed to heal. So I do everything in my power to set the body up to get the best response. And that may be just through my, my material 
meticulous technique of closing the incisions in multiple layers, using absorbable sutures, a layer of skin glue, et cetera, to seal the incisions. And then as the body heals at about six weeks, incisions have reached you know, about 90% of their ultimate strength. And that's when we'll start being very aggressive with silicone taping, silicone ointments, massaging of the scar, either offering microneedling to help the scar remodel, or even laser treatments that can decrease the pigmentation or the texture of the scars. And so it's really, you know, obviously I want to make sure patients get the best scar come a scar outcome possible because they'll have a nice improvement of their body. And we would, we don't want the results to be marred by, you know, an unsightly scar. And unfortunately there are some people who just don't make good scars and there's some folks that make better scars. So sometimes it's just an individual person's makeup also. Uh, you are correct. And I have seen some surgeons that they don't care too much about things. But that's why I want to highlight about your work specifically, mm -hmm. yes. because you do pay attention to how you are closing people's bodies again. Yes, most definitely. That's part of being a plastic surgeon. So if, you know, those fine details are important. And if you don't, I mean, like, you know, with plastic surgery, how you close what your scars look like is a is a big part of your, your skill. And if you're not, you know, if you're not really investing time and energy in that, then I think that, you know, that it kind of shows that there's a, a little meticulousness that's that's lacking and you know I'm not one to take shortcuts I want to make sure that I really do everything in my power to give patients the best outcomes possible I treat them as if they were you know myself or a family member and really just making sure that we get you know we work hard to get the best results I want you to be my surgeon <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever you're ready I'll be ready I don't even know what I want <laughs> but if one day I decide I I want to get one day done, I'll come perfect yeah well whenever whenever you know I always tell folks it's always um it, it, sometimes it's a little bit of a time constraint you know when patients are ready they may be thinking about surgery for years before they come in and actually have the procedure And then some patients will be like, you know what, I want to do this, I'm ready. And it's a very quick decision. But oftentimes, you know, it takes time for, for folks to say, okay, this is what I want to do, which is, which is totally understandable. So I have patients that have thought about surgery for years before they're ready to commit, or maybe life circumstances are, are ready for them. That's also true. Um, do you believe in post-care? Uh, Post-operative care? Yes, very much so. You know, very much so. I, I, I spend a lot of time, my staff and I spend a lot of time trying to prepare patients for surgery in advance, but then also they need to understand what they need to do after surgery for the best results. And I do tell patients, I said, this is plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery, but it's still surgery. And you still have to heal and you have to make time for yourself to recover. So yes, so I prepare patients in advance in terms of what to eat, what not to eat, what to wear. And then we really do work with a lot of um, aftercare providers for massage therapy, for home health care to make sure patients and their family members know what to do you know as much as you tell patients in advance you know the day after this they have surgery they forget everything that you've told them and you have to kind of continuously reinforce messages and so it's important for patients to understand you know you you need to have somebody with you 24 hours a day for the first several days to make sure that you're getting up you're moving your pain medication is controlled um and that you're wearing your garments you're changing your 
dressings, you're eating the right things and you're having massage appointments as needed for, for some of our body contouring procedures. So aftercare is very important. Can you share with me uh, three things that they should not eat after surgery? So three things. Okay. So after surgery, patients have to understand that their body is, is in, in, a, in a swelling phase. It's in a traumatic phase, meaning it's trying, it's, you know, it's basically it's your house is on fire. So with that, patients tend to retain fluid, they swell. So you obviously want to stay away from foods that make you retain water. So salty foods, fried food, excess sodium, canned soups, you know, should be avoided. Alcohol should be avoided. Um, I like patients to drink lots of water, lots of fresh green smoothies or green juice, high protein, lean meats, fresh fruits, fresh veggies. So staying away from salty fried foods. Those are three things right there. Salty fried foods <laughs> and then alcohol. Because you will, while you're recovering, your body is just going to, instead of getting rid of the fluid, the body will hang on to it if you if you eat salty foods. Yes, it's really good that you are talking about the canned soups. Because they come to me, um, usually like they come to me six days out of the week after surgery. <laughs> and I like to have like... Um, journey with them what did you eat yesterday what do you eat today and they're like yeah i bought like canned soups for the entire six weeks no <laughs> you're never going to heal it's gonna take longer right. and no. caffeine what do you think of, what is your opinion on caffeine since i am a coffee lover I, i i don't try to restrict folks from having coffee but i think that everything should be in moderation so i'm like one cup a day That's it. One cup. It shouldn't be cans and cans of, of caffeine or a lot of coffee. And the thing with coffee or tea is that oftentimes patients will put a lot of sugar in or sweeteners in their tea and their coffee. And so then a lot of a lot of sugar can also keep your body from healing, hold on to extra water. So I'm kind of like a little bit lenient with the fact that I'll let you have one caffeine drink in the morning. And then I usually tell folks nothing afternoon or else that it can interfere with your sleep. And I know some patients are completely immune to the effects of caffeine on their sleep. But I do sometimes have to warn patients not to just drink sweet tea. You know, we live in Texas, so people like sweet tea. I'm like, oh my God, it's just like eating pure sugar. Um, same thing with um, sugary soft drinks. They should stay away from that as well. And again, right after surgery, patients, I, I try to really make them understand you need protein to heal and you need a little bit of fat to keep you um, kind of Uh, kind of full, then you also need lots of water to flush your system out. So the other thing that I tell folks to stay away from is um, the juices that you buy, like orange juice or these other fruit juice smoothies that are pre-made because they have a lot of sugar in them as well. So I really like fresh green juices. So something that, you know, is, is, is very healthy, organic, that does not have any added sugar other than maybe just some natural fruit. So staying away from sugary foods, salt Salty foods, canned soups are terrible and everything should be fresh and organic and lean. So I try to tell folks, think of your car, your body as a car or a machine and you want to get it lean fuel so that it can heal. What is the problem with like when your body's swelling and sugar? Why sugar makes everything more complicated? So sugar is kind of, what it does is it's empty calories. It does not help your body heal. It doesn't give you the building blocks and it can help you. It can also make your sugar, sugar on a regular basis just makes you, your, uh, 
um, kind of energy levels yo-yo. So then you eat more sugar and then your body will crash and then it's kind of a crash and burn situation. So while you're holding on, while you, if you're eating sweets, then you're going to also hold on to some extra swelling, extra water, and you're not going to heal. You're not going to get the building blocks that your body really needs to be efficient for healing. What the body needs is really protein and some vitamins. So taking, we do recommend patients to take a vitamin uh, two weeks before and two weeks afterwards. We have a specific packet of vitamins to help them with the building blocks, the fundamental things that they need to eat to, to heal. And it's amazing, you know, sometimes patients you know, will go on these crash diets or they'll try to lose weight and they'll stop eating. And that can really put them at a disadvantage when, it time, when it's time to have surgery. So if you're not eating or if you're skipping meals or you're star starving yourself, you may not be getting all the nutrients and you may not look malnourished or unhealthy, but when you stress your body with surgery and you haven't been eating properly, then you may not have the protein and the vitamins that you need to heal. So eating a balanced meal is super, super important. Wow. It's, and what about working out before surgery? So before surgery... I don't think I have a problem with patients working out, especially I really like it when patients strengthen their core um, and, and then also strengthen their leg muscles, because if, especially if they're doing anything upper body, you can't be pulling or lifting yourself up. So using your core or your legs to help get you to get you moving will be important because again, after surgery, we don't want you lying in bed. We want you moving. We want you moving your body. So getting up and moving after surgery is important. I don't want you exercising after surgery, but before surgeries, it's perfect. I noticed that when people come for the treatments, I can tell without asking um, who worked out before surgery and who didn't. The people that work out, they heal faster. They are able to move faster. They heal better. Like everything is so much better and easier for people that actually worked out. Yeah. What I, and I learned that when I was doing a lot of surgery on massive weight loss patients. So patients who've lost weight through either uh, major weight loss, hundred pound weight loss, or gastric bypass, gastric sleeves, or lap band surgery. So bariatric surgery, or some patients that have just lost a, a, a large amount of weight through diet and exercise. The men would come in oftentimes if they were heavier um, when they were young, a lot of times the men would come in, they've been working out, they've been build, you know, uh, building up their muscles. And even if they have a lot of skin, they have a lot of built-in muscle. And even if men aren't particularly physically active, they still by nature have more muscle mass than women. And I found that when I operate on men, they heal beautifully. When I operate on some women, they take longer to heal or they may have more issues with healing. And what I kind of figured out is that men have protein stores built in. So after surgery, your muscles are going to like, you're not exercising. So your muscles tend to atrophy. Your, your body will release the protein in the muscles and the amino acids in the muscle back into the bloodstream. And then it's actually feeding your body to heal. Wow. And when women don't exercise and they don't have any muscle, you know, women tend to have less muscle than men normally. But if you're really, let's just say, not exercising, you don't have any strength, you don't have that available muscle, you know, kind of storage, especially for patients that have had bariatric surgery and they may not absorb the food as well, that they can have more difficulty healing. So I think you're exactly right. Those are folks who've been working out before surgery, they've built up some muscle. And even though they're not working out after surgery, the body will use their muscles to heal to heal itself. Wow. It sounds very interesting. I love <laughs> how amazing our body is. Yes. 
No, and you know, we just need to, everybody needs to understand and, uh, to, that you have one body, you have to take care of it. And that surgery is only one part of it. And I can do so much as a surgeon, but really patients that are going to have the best results and the best outcome are patients that take care of themselves in all aspects. They, they eat right, they drink enough water, they sleep at night. Those are the things that are so important for our bodies on a daily basis. Very basic. Sleep. Very basic. <laughs> Workout. Sleep. Drink water. Wow. Very, very basic. Doctor, where can people see what you are doing? I have, um, I'm on Instagram at Real Dr. Cash. I am on Facebook. I, I have a Twitter account, which I don't tweet too much because I probably get myself in trouble. Um, and then I have a <laughs> website. It's uh, CamilleCashMD.com. So any of my social media handles or website, um, you can give the office a call. Uh, we're, we're happy to talk to patients, showcase our, my work, and uh, hopefully, you know, uh, just educate patients on how to have a successful surgery. Thank you, doctor, for your time. This is very educational for everybody. For me, it's, it's very, very beautiful that you, what you are doing. And I love your work. And I'm Thank very, you. very honored to have you with us today. Wonderful. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, doctor. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great day, okay? You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.